0: Hey, thank you guys for just loving on us, right? It's uh, it's a privilege to be here, to be a part of this this church, to be a part of this team, and uh, and so we, uh, we we feel that love, and we love you right back. We love you right back. I uh, I'm excited tonight too for a couple of reasons. I got a couple of things I want to talk about before we get into the into the message. Uh, one is that there is an impromptu life group. That just got birthed just recently. If you've been around us for the last several weeks, you know we've been walking through Discover City Life, which is a uh, an opportunity for people to learn more about who we are as a church. And so we did one on Saturday night during the uh, during the message for a couple of weeks. But then we also, uh, as an experiment, we had never done it as a life group before. We ran it for four weeks uh, on Tuesday nights. And we, when we were done with those four weeks, the people that were there it was about fifteen or so people. They were like, "We don't want to stop meeting." we want to keep going. And we were like, come on, that's awesome. And uh, so out of that, a new life group was birthed. They're going to be meeting here on, on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Uh, there's child care provided. They're going to be walking through our practice booklet, which is our, our how we do discipleship. If you don't know what that is, find someone in a blue shirt. They'll give you one of those little green books for free. Uh, but there'll be a group of people that are going to be me- meeting here on Tuesday night, 6.30. Again, child care provided. Uh, and you can just show up in the cafe, uh, and then they'll tell you where to go from there so we just want to let you know uh, because it might be that you missed out uh, on the life groups that we started several weeks ago Uh, there wasn't one that flowed with your schedule for some reason and so we trust that for some of you uh, this is going to be an answer to your prayer so we also want to talk about if you if you've been here the last few weeks you know that we are launching a preschool in 2019 come on it's going to be good so, we're going to have, we think we're going to launch around February. Our Facebook page will be up in November and we'll be taking registrations for kids. But we're going to have 25 full time spots for kids. We're going to be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday right here at the Newport News Campus for ages two and a half to five. And we've made our first two hires. The first one is Jordan Johnson, he's going to be coming on staff. With the City Life Church, we're excited. If you know JJ, he's a part of our student ministries. He's a part of tech. He's a part of everything here at City Life as a volunteer. He's getting his bachelor's in ministry. He's got a call in his life uh, into vocational ministry. And, so, and he works in the public school system with kids. He's been doing it for years. So the, the, your taxes have been paying for his training. That Now we're going to hire him to work for us in the church, which is great. When it works out that way, and uh, he is—he has been so celebrated at the elementary school where he works that on at least two—I know of two occasions—where the school has tried to the, the system has tried to relocate him, and parents have petitioned twice to force to force the school to let him stay where he is. And so, so when uh, he put in his notice, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. But, uh, but they're gonna send all their little brothers and sisters to our preschool now, so come on. And then also, we've got Katie Walls. She's gonna be coming on staff. So these are our first two senior hires, and uh, if your kids have been in childcare here, they've been under her care at some point. And, uh, and so her love for kids, not just her love for kids for them to have fun, but her love for kids to learn her love for kids to develop and her love for kids to grow in the admonition of the Lord. And so she has a passion for curriculums, for putting together systems that develop the heart of a child, not just in practical education to get your child ready for school, whether they're going to be public school, private school, or homeschool, they're going to come out of it ready, but they're also going to come out of it with a knowledge of who God is in Scripture, even at an early age. And so we're excited to share that with you. There's going to be more hires to come, but those were our two most important ones. JJ's going to be coming on staff in November, and then Katie's going to be coming on staff in January. So if you see them tonight, I hope that you will give them a high five and a congratulations and congratulations uh, uh, we're excited that our team is growing here. So I, I, I kid you not, right? I, I'm not kidding you. I know sometimes it, it, you, you think that we're not telling you the truth because of how things sometimes get orchestrated. We had no idea uh, that, uh, that we were going to be celebrated t- tonight. I didn't know that that was coming. And uh, I just had part of my normal setting up the sermon, this picture that's popping up next right here that's coming. Come on. Didn't know that we were going to be doing this. And so this, this was us. In two, this is not Vanessa's sister and Fred's brother. This is what we used to look like. This is what we used to look like. 2007, this was when we crazy, right? Look at those kids. Who are they? Who, I'll tell you who they are. They eat all my food now. You know my food, just unbelievable, right? They used to, all the kids, look at Ethan's got all those name tags. We used to do name tags for every service, and the kids would go around and collect as many name tags as they could, and, uh, and then they would make a, a, a ball out of it, and then, uh, and then throw it at people, because that's what kids do. <laughs> so some of you might have scars from that. You're like, yeah, that's this one right here. And so I, I'm sharing that story with you. Because when God began to speak to our hearts about coming here, it was not easy for us. Because we were coming from a church where I had been a part of that church for 17 years, had been on staff for eight, and it took us over a year just to walk into obedience for what God was telling us to do. We knew he was calling us to come, and you've heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I, I kid you not, it was probably just, I want to say maybe just a year or so before we ended up coming here. We were on our way to vacation in the Outer Banks. It was it was a Sunday morning, and we stopped off at the Regal Cinema uh, there off of Victory Boulevard, because that's where this church was started, and it was birthed by Vanessa's other sister, Heather, and her husband, Mike, Heather and Mike Giroux, and so we stopped, we left early that morning because we wanted to worship with them as a family. There's less than 100 people in that movie theater, right? They're, they're setting up, they're tearing down, they don't have two pennies to rub together, right? There's no budget, and I, we got in our car, and as we were driving to the Outer Banks, Vanessa and I looked at each other, I kid you not, and we said, I am so glad God's not asking us to do anything like that, because that is just crazy talk, right? That's like a little Sunday school class for the church that we came from. And, uh, and little did we know, uh, a year later, uh, we, would, we would be here. You know, and, and I think sometimes we, you know, there's the joke, right? Be careful about what you're going to tell God you're not going to do. I, I don't think that God is spiteful. Can we just get rid of that theology? It's not as though God's waiting for us to say what we're not going to do, and then he's like, oh, I'll watch him. right so, I, I think in those moments where we have this strong sense of never, it's really our heart beginning to, to become aware to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit into a place that he's going to call us to. But because he's gracious, because he's kind, because he's loving, he knows that for many of us, it's going to take us time to get to a place of obedience. And God is a perfect father, and he always wants to set up for for success. So he, 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 He exposed our heart to that feeling because he knew we were gonna have to work through it to get to a place where we could come and celebrate and be here. I'm sharing that because in this series, there are gonna be times where you're gonna feel God asking you to do something that you're not going to want to do. And my encouragement to you is that you have got to trust his heart, that he always has your best interest at heart, and if he's ever bringing you into a moment where you're feeling reluctance, oftentimes that sense of resistance is the very very evidence that what you need to step into is what God wants to do in you and through you. And so just as it was for us, right, which was a monumental decision for us to make that shift, it was exactly where we needed to be and exactly what we needed to do. And what we're gonna be doing here in this series, again, we're just in week three, It doesn't compare to that scale, but the feeling is just the same. Now listen to me. If we don't learn how to deal with our reluctance in small moments like this, you will never be ready to deal with your reluctance in big moments like that. These moments in this series aren't just for what God wants to do in you on these nights. It's preparing you for something monumental in your future. Be willing to condition your heart to a place of yielding of obedience to a perfect God, even when your heart doesn't want to perfectly obey. Father, I just pray as we wade back out into this series tonight, As we continue to wade out into these waters of this series of In the Crowd, God, I pray that every person, week in and week out, would come with a heart that is ready to receive, to come with a heart that's ready to be seen, to come with a heart that's ready to be conspicuous in the moments where we have an opportunity to reach even still for the hem of your garment. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Hey, every week we're kind of digging around in a story that illustrates... This idea that sometimes it's hard to do what God asks us to do, and if we don't overcome it, then it stands in the way of the healing that he wants to give to us. It could not just a physical healing, but there could be a healing on the inside. It could be spiritual. It could be emotional. Even intellectual healings. And then the story sets up some response. And so what I want to do tonight, just to kind of get our hearts moving in the right direction, if you've got your Bible... If you've got paper, you can turn there. If you've got a device, you can swipe there. Is 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 5. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story for the sake of time, but I do want to give you a little bit of a background before we jump into verse 8, because we're going to read verses 8 through 14. Now, this is the famous story of Naaman. And in this story, we pick up in the history of Israel, and that they have a, a. a truce of sorts with the northern kingdom, Aram, which would be modern-day Syria. And, and, and they've been at war with each other, and then they come into times of peace. And then they're at war with each other, and then they come into times of peace. So they're in one of these times of peace. But during the times of peace they understand that the tribes of both kingdoms that live on borders with each other, they send raiding parties back and forth. And both kings are trying to create some room for these raiding parties to happen without it escalating into an all-out war. And so one of these raiding parties is Aram. They come down into Israel, and Naaman is the commander of Aram's army. And in one of these... Raiding parties, they capture this young Israelite girl and they take her home, and she becomes a servant, or what we really know, right? She's a slave in Naaman's house and she works for Naaman's wife. Now, Naaman, even though he's the commander of the army, he's seriously ill. And he has the disease of leprosy. Now, we don't really think about leprosy in America anymore, but a leprosy still happens throughout the world, especially in developing com- com- countries. It's a circulatory disease where the blood flow doesn't get to your body in, in certain parts of your body the way that it should. It's a progressive disease. And so parts of your body literally begin to rot. Now, this is the condition that Naaman has. We don't know how bad he has it. We have to assume that he's in the early stages because he's still able to function as the commander of the army. But at some point, it's gonna take his life. This servant girl tells Naaman's wife about a man in Israel by the name of Elisha. And she tells Naaman's wife, Elisha is a prophet of the one true God. And if he has an opportunity to pray for your husband, God will heal him. So Naaman's wife tells Naaman, Naaman goes and tells the king, and the king says, Naaman, I want you to leave for Israel, right? You're the commander of the army, it will take care of itself, we've got other people capable, you go. I'm gonna send you with letters, you take these to the king of Israel to let him know that you're there, Right. This, is, this isn't a pretense for war, that you're there to find Elisha. I want you to take these gifts. And they set off on their journey. They arrive in Israel, and Israel's king receives the emissaries from Naaman and gifts, and the letters come, and the king of Israel, even though it explains why he's there, he's afraid. He's afraid because his first thought is what happens if Elijah, Elisha is not able to heal Naaman, what if God doesn't move? So he's terrified that even though they're not there for war, that if this thing doesn't turn out right, there's gonna be, there, there, it's going to become war. Now Elisha gets word that the king is distraught, and he comes. And he tells the king to not be afraid, to send Naaman, and he'll pray. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. With this message, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought, that's an important word, we're going to talk about that, he would certainly come out to meet me, right? Naaman's important. There's protocol with royalty. He's not used to dealing with messengers, He stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected, we're going to talk about that, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Parfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned. And went away, listen to what it says, in a rage. He's got anger issues, people. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. Listen to what it says. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Don't you love it that God didn't just heal him of leprosy and give him the skin that he should have according to his age. He healed him of leprosy but went far beyond what he was even asking. This is what God does for us. Love that word that Shanika had. When we come and ask a perfect father for our, our, our need, it's not just the need that he's going to be. It, it meet, it's it's going to be so much more. Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. I don't wonder if some of you, the work that God wants to do in your life is because you're stuck in an I-thought moment like Naaman in Verse 11. Our thinking at some point has to give way to his wisdom. Our thinking has got to give way to his wisdom. So, family, it was in Discover City Life, the Deerburgers sent me a link to a message by a pastor down in Florida, Stovall Weems, called The Gatekeeper of Your House. You need to check that out. It's powerful. And so much of what he talks about is this idea that you and I, as devoted followers of Christ, at some point, our thinking has to. Give way to his wisdom. You and I are inundated day in and day out and day in and day out through messages and values through media that begin to pollute our heart with a thinking that's contrary to the wisdom of God. I love how he talks about in this message, Pastor Weems, he said, it doesn't matter what political side you tend to flow with. It doesn't matter which channels you're watching and you know exactly what I'm talking about, the two that are out there. Both of them, more often than not, are presenting the world with a false thinking mindset and mentality. Both. And you and I have to be a gatekeeper in our home for our hearts, not just for us. But if you're a parent, you've got to be a gatekeeper for your children. Because the more that we avail ourselves to a worldly way of thinking, we will find ourselves like Naaman. Naaman. So that when we are confronted with the wisdom of God, we will reject the very wisdom that is the source of our healing. Don't get stuck in a I thought moment tonight. There might be a moment that's waiting for you to respond and to, and to stand. And, 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 and maybe your thinking leads you down one course, but the Holy Spirit's leading you down this one. Let your thinking give way to his wisdom. I like how Naaman talks about I expected in verse 11. I expected. So many times we have a certain expectation for how God is supposed to do what we need God to do. Look, this is part of Shanika's word too, right? She didn't know what we were going to be preaching on tonight. We've got to come to him with our request, but then we've got to let him have his plan. Part of coming to God with our request is to let him do it the way he wants to do it. We don't get to come to him with our need and then also give him the strategy. You share the need and let God's strategy play out. I'll never forget that Mike and Heather, again, who started this church over 13 years ago, they lived in Williamsburg and their house went for sale right away in an amazing neighborhood. All the other houses in that neighborhood sold right away. They priced it at just the right price. In fact, they priced it lower than what they should have, so it could sell. Because they wanted to move here and live in the city where they were planning a church, and a house would not sell. It would not sell. They would lower the price. It would not sell. It would show. It was. It was like there was some force field around it that kept anybody from taking any interest in their home. It was crazy. Pete, we're fasting, can you just agree with, sometimes we're fasting and praying against the will of God because we can't see it, because we have expectations that are different than God's plan. That house wasn't supposed to sell because they were never supposed to move to Newport News because God was going to call them, which they didn't know, to plant a church in Washington, D.C., and they were supposed to move there. So at the point that all of that played out, which took more than a year for that to happen, I kid you not, as soon as they committed to move to D.C. to take that church, and then God orchestrated us coming here to lead this church for the household, Right? It just sold. We have expectations, just like Naaman, but our expectations have to give way to his plan. Verse 12. Couldn't I How many times have you and I been in a couldn't I moment with God? Our complaints have to give way to his commands. Our complaints have got to give way to his commands. The pathways that we talk about in this church time and again, again, if you don't know what that phrase means, get one of those free little green books, show up on Tuesday nights to learn more about them for that life group that's going to be meeting about discipleship, those pathways, as you commit your life to them, position and posture your heart to always be prepared to say yes to God in the moments, especially when they count. We must never let our thinking, our expectations, and our complaints stand in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Listen, listen to me. Naaman means pleasantness. It means pleasantness. The Jordan means descending. God is always telling a story in the story. Everything that happens in this book, it's for the history. We believe in what's called the historicity of Scripture. It's historically accurate. But God just doesn't give us the history for a lesson in time and events. He uses the history to to paint a prophetic picture that gives us instruction for kingdom living. Naaman means pleasantness, Jordan means descending. The picture of Naaman going into that river seven times is a powerful prophetic picture. Because until you and I are willing to descend out of the comfort zone of our pleasantness and into the waters of God's ways and his plans and his thinking and his commands, there is healing in our hearts that you and I will never take possession of. And the reason why he had to go seven times is because the human experience—it's arduous. That most of us, it takes effort to obey. There's probably not a person in this room that wakes up on any given day and say, "I hope that God calls me out of my comfort zone today." <laughs> who, who said that prayer this morning? Right? Who said that prayer when you would in Jesus? Day, Just take me out of my comfort zone. Make me uncomfortable just make me conspicuous, press challenge my humanity. If you're here praying that, let me know because you're going to be preaching next week. Right? I mean, our humanity, it resists stepping out of our comfort zone. We like pleasantness. It takes effort to descend out of that place of comfort to be conspicuous at certain times. But I'm telling you, If you're not willing to do it, there's a healing that you will never find. Naaman could have gone back to Aram just as sick as when he came. And I would say even sicker. Because his condition wasn't just about his body. His condition was related to his heart. And when he came up out of that water... The picture of his skin is a picture of a heart that had been changed. I love how it says he had the skin of a child because I think part of that is he now had the heart of a child that's willing to yield to the word of a perfect father. When we get to the moment or possibly 2 we'll see what time allows there's gonna be an opportunity for some of you to stand and I believe and receive something from God. And what I would say to you is descend out of the pleasantness of your comfort zone and see what God would do. Just as there is a God who heals and delivers and saves in this story, he's still active in the world today and he's right here in the 757 at 311 Seldon Road. Somebody say, who is your company So we're using these stories each week to set up the moments of ministry, and this is called Lessons in Daniel 2, because God had plans for, this is what we were going to be talking about last week. If you were here last week, you know we had an impromptu message. Those notes are up online now if you want to get... The, uh, the PDF for that, we got those up this week, so you can go online when we talked about grace and peace. So who is your company? So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Daniel 1, Daniel 1, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 16, verses 8 through 16. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, "'I'm afraid of my lord the king,' who is ordered that you eat this food and wine if you become pale and thin compared to the other use of your age. Now just to give you a little bit of background, what's happened is that the southern kingdom has now fallen. So Israel as an entire nation is no more. And they've been swept away into the Babylonian captivity. And part of, 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 of Nebuchadnezzar's plan when he conquers a nation is he will take young men from the royal families and he will bring them into his court and he will begin to train them in the Babylonian culture so that they can now lead the people that have now been conquered into a process of assimilation into the empire Daniel is one of those young men so they're given all of this food that they're supposed to eat but if you're familiar with the Old Testament you know there's all kinds of dietary restrictions praise the Lord that we've now been delivered of come on but not then there were rules and he says I can't eat any of this food That's where the whole concept of a Daniel fast comes into play. He's basically the only thing that he can eat is vegetables and water. Now this guy that's in charge, he said, my life is on the line here, right? Performance appraisals here is you get your head lopped off if you don't do what you're told. There's no warnings. I'm not going to get pulled into an office and somebody's going to encourage me in a better way, right? They're going to call me and boom, I'm dead. I'm not comfortable with this plan. Daniel's like just wait and see what my God can do. You know the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't eat any of the food that they're not supposed to eat. And when it comes time for their review, they look better, they're more healthy than any of the other young men from the other royal families that ate all the food. Now, just in case you're thinking this is a biblical reference to a vegan diet, you have to remember that the only way they were healthy is that something supernatural happened. Just saying, for the record. We need bacon, people. We need bacon. Praise the Lord. All right, thank you for coming tonight. There's a miracle that takes place. But what we forget is that Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Israelite men in the room. And the implication is they are the only four that refuse to eat. Everybody else. Because when times are hard, we give ourselves permission to compromise. This is how we live. I deserve it because of how hard my day has been. I should be able to look at these images on my computer because you don't know how stressful my work was today. I should be able to have this extra two, three, four, five, six beers because of how hard my family was today. There is a human inclination to compromise that seeks permission and hardship when the very hardship that God walks us through is not for us to seek compromise, but it's for the forming of our character. And let's not be so hard on these other people, because as hard as your day has ever been, it's never been as hard as their day. There might there, I'll take that back. Those of you that, that serve in certain capacities, you've, you've probably had some days just like this. But for most of us, they watch their families slaughtered in battle by the thousands, thousands. And then they were swept away and changed to a foreign nation. So when we judge them, let's just be careful. You tracking with me? It doesn't make what they did right. But we can understand that where there is trauma, there is vulnerability. But for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they found the faith to stand strong. Here it comes. They didn't let their crowd become their company. They did not let their crowd become their company. 1 Corinthians 15, Don't be fooled. If you are a parent, you better memorize this verse. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. What's, what's he referring to? He's referring to a doctrinal argument that it was it birthed up in the, the church of Corinth that there's, there's no life after death. That's what he was referring to when he says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Listen to what he says. For bad company... Corrupts good character. If you're a parent and you got kids and you don't like the crowd that they're hanging out with, then don't let them hang out with that crowd. You're the boss. Have some rules. Be the gatekeeper of your home. Bad company corrupts good character. But while you're telling your kid that, you might need to change the channel on the television, I'm just saying. If we're gonna lead them down the road, let's lead them down the road. I love this verse, bad company corrupts good character. This word in the Greek for company is the word homilia. And it doesn't just mean people you're casually hanging out with. It's not talking about a crowd, it's talking about a company. It's talking about people that you give your heart to. It means companionship, it means communion, listen to me, and in the time in the era when the Bible was written, homilia was also a word used to talk about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. This is a serious word about serious intimacy. When your crowd becomes your company, you begin to allow that company to influence you in a way that is detrimental to you. It's detrimental not just because of the influence that they have, but it's also because of the influence that you are foregoing. because God put you there to influence them. It's the only time that this word is used in the entire New Testament. Why does God do things like that? He does things like that because he's trying to draw attention to it. And it's interesting because the same person the Holy Spirit used to write this letter to the church of Corinth also wrote a letter to the church of Rome, which seems at first to be in direct contradiction to what he just says. Romans 10, 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, happy day. Come on. Love that song tonight. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Listen to verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. But how can they call On him to save them, unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In Romans, Paul's saying, You got to go. You got to get out of your comfort zone into a lost world. For some of you, he's saying God's going to call you to make your home in a faraway place among people that you don't know so you can be a messenger of the gospel. But to the, to the church of Corinth, he says, hey, be, bad company corrupts good character. Just, get you know, right? These aren't contradictory. They partner with each other in a healthy tension. Because Paul's warning to, the, warning to the church of Corinth was not to go into the crowd. He was saying, don't let the crowd become your company. And and here in Romans, he's saying, in fact, if you are a devoted follower of Christ, you've got to be willing to go into a crowd that has the potential to corrupt your heart. But you'll never be vulnerable to an influence in your life because the crowd that you enter into is not going to ever be the company that you keep because the company that you keep is the local church and as long as you keep your heart tethered to the company of the local church, then you can go out of the place that is your company and into the crowd with the message of the gospel, and you become the influencer instead of the influenced. It's part of Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount where we're called to be the light of the world. Light always overcomes darkness. But if you've got a basket over your light, then you're gonna get swallowed up by the darkness that you're supposed to change. The only safe way to be a witness to a crowd who don't follow Jesus is for your life to be tethered to the company of the local church. Matthew 16, 17, and 18 is Jesus' great declaration that he's going to build his church. Church of theirs, Ecclesia, the, the called out ones. You and I, if we're devoted followers of Christ, we've been called out of that crowd and into the company of the family of God and the body of Christ so that we can then be sent back out into the crowd because now we have a new company that we keep and influence the world for the sake of Christ. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. We'll do... Lessons from Daniel 3 next week. The next one is, are you neglecting your gift? But tonight I want to talk about this idea of who's the company that you keep. And then the way that there's going to be a response moment is, is, is during this message tonight, for some of you, you felt it in your heart. That, that you know that you're one of those people that you, you, you're, you have a tendency to let the crowd that you're in have an undue influence on your life could be the people that you hang out with at work. It could be friends from college. If you're a young person here, it could be the people that you run with at school. And what I'm saying to you tonight is that God wants to deposit something in you, give you a new desire and a new faith and a new courage and a new strength, not to step out of that group of people, come on, but to step out of them being your company so that they just become your crowd. And for part of you, what it's gonna mean is that you've got to double down in your efforts for the body of Christ and the family of God to become your company. And the only way the church, because some of you, the church has only ever been your crowd. And can I just say to you tonight, if church is only ever something that you do, Christianity will never be who you are. So for some of you, it's not just about making what is a company a crowd, it's about making what has been a crowd your company you have going to have to find time for the life groups. You're going to have to find time for serving, right? We're not doing all those things because we want you to be busy with doing church because we've got work to do. We want you to be active in those things because we know that they are the pathways that lead to transformation in your life and gives you the influence in the world that we're supposed to have. So we're not going to linger in this moment. We just want to, if you're here tonight, I'm telling you, and you know, you know who you are, that the crowd has become your company. And for some of you, this room, it doesn't represent the relationships you know that it should. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. If you're a teenager, if you're an adult, have the courage to stand where you are. Your spouse might not stand with you. Your kids might be here. And and, and you might say, well, it's going to be hard for me to stand because I'm going to have some explaining. You do some explaining. Father, I pray that you would inspire every heart in this room to stand in the way that they need to stand, to begin to redefine the company that they keep. I pray, Father, that you would begin to do a work in people's hearts. Come on, if people are standing somewhere near you, I want you to gather around them and put a hand on their shoulder. Father, I pray for the people that are standing right now, that there would be a deeper desire for the company of the church, that there would be a deeper desire for the family of God, There would be a deeper desire, come on, Father, for the youth in this room to set their hearts apart from the crowd of their school so that the company would be this room so they could go back into that crowd with the message of the gospel of Christ. I pray for boundaries. I pray that you would give parents the courage to be gatekeepers in their home. And I pray, Father, for every heart, every heart, that we would stop letting the... Pleasantness of our comfort zone to keep us from wading into the waters of your transformation. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, "Amen." Stand with me. Let's worship.